Welcome to Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast, bringing together thought leaders in the technology, media, and telecommunications industries to discuss legal issues that are expected to impact today's organizations and tomorrow's marketplace. Kelly Dry Full Spectrum is produced twice monthly, and show notes are available at www.kellydryfullspectrum.com. For more in-depth commentary, head to our blog, comlawmonitor.com. All links are in the show notes. This podcast is produced by the Kelly Dry Communications Practice Group. Hi, and welcome to Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast. Today's topic are communications impacts of hurricanes Harvey and Irma. I'm Steve Augustino, partner in the Communications Practice Group of Kelly Dry, and with me is Brad Courier. Hello, everyone. All right. So today we want to talk about Hurricanes Harvey and Irma. For several days in August of 2017, Hurricane Harvey brought hurricane force winds and devastating rains to portions of southeast Texas and Louisiana. Roughly a week later, Hurricane Irma started to have impact the U.S. Virgin Islands, Puerto Rico, and Florida, also as a Category 5 hurricane, bringing winds and rains that uh, impacted all of the Florida Peninsula. In this podcast, we're going to take a look at the impact these storms have on communications networks with attention to the regulatory obligations of communication service providers and the implications of these types of storms. So first, we're going to talk about the extent of these outages, and then we're going to go into some of the implications. Importantly, these were the first major natural disasters since Chairman Pai had assumed leadership of the FCC. And unlike in previous storms, the FCC was extremely proactive in providing information to the public about the nature of the storms, the extent of the impacts of the storms. This was different in the past, and frankly, I think that it was um, very helpful and very informative to the public and to other agencies. We had a daily report on the extent of the outages, which were updated very regularly, and it was very, very extensive. And I'll let Brad go into a little bit about what those reports showed. Sure. So at its peak, Hurricane Irma knocked out service for over 60% of cell sites in the U.S. Virgin Islands, 30% of cell sites in Puerto Rico, and 25% of cell sites in Florida. Over 7.5 million customers lost service in just Florida alone, and 29 of the state's 911 answering points, otherwise known as PSAPs, experienced service outages. Hurricane Harvey's impact on communications networks was not as extensive due to less severe winds, but the storm still knocked out service for over 280,000 customers and 17 PSAPs across Texas and Louisiana. We should point out that electric power outages actually still continue and may take weeks to resolve, which impacts customers, even if service is being restored as far as communications. So let's talk a little bit about the network outage reporting obligations. Yeah. Okay, certainly. And I'll start with just a, a note here. There are a number of best practices for the redundancy and resiliency of your networks, and communication service providers should follow those. I will note, though, that network reliability is not a standard or an obligation of the Communications Act, so there really aren't enforcement aspects of that, but there are impacts that those standards have and those best practices have. As relevant here, the first and most important obligation of a communication service provider is to report those outages to the commission. This is the mechanism by which the FCC monitors the availability of services, by which it coordinates with federal agencies, and by which it is providing that reporting that I was talking about. It's very important here to note for communication service providers that you must review and establish your network outage reporting obligations and understand what your practices are well before these types of events occur. So you know, what we're going to do here is just give you an overview of it, and I want to give you a flavor 
And I'm going to apologize, first of all, we're going to try to do this in about 90 seconds, so we can't possibly cover all of the nuances and the extents of these reporting obligations. Brad? Sure. So let's start off with who. So the FCC rules require most communication service providers to report outages impacting their subscribers or PSAPs. So that includes cable, wireless, wireline, satellite, interconnected VoIP, and other providers. Importantly, although not explicitly addressed in the rules, the FCC determined in 2015 that resellers of communication services that lease or otherwise utilize network facilities also must comply with the network reporting obligations. Yeah. Also, another element of the WHO part of this is that you have to provide reporting to not only the FCC, but there are important rules requiring reporting of outages to the PSAPs themselves, that is to the 911 service agencies. And this has been a key public policy concern of the FCC and of the PSAPs. It's garnered a lot of attention in the past, and carriers should be certain that they have in place these procedures uh, for identifying who the rel relevant PSAPs are, make sure you have the contact information for them, and you have procedures for making sure that you provide accurate, timely, and relevant information on outages. Yep, that's right. So we've done who, so now let's talk about when. The FCC doesn't require communication service providers to report every outage, only those meeting specific criteria. FCC rules define an outage as a significant degradation in the ability of end users to establish and maintain communications as a result of a failure or other impairment to a communication service provider's network. The thresholds and deadlines for reporting network outages vary depending on the type of communication service provider affected. So for instance, the rules require wireless and wireline service providers to notify the FCC within 120 minutes of discovering that they experience an outage lasting at least 30 minutes that potentially affects either a PSAP or at least 900,000 so-called user minutes. And user minutes are calculated uh, by multiplying the outage's duration by the number of potentially impacted end users. Now, we could devote an entire podcast to the many outage reporting triggers, so providers should carefully review the rules to ensure all obligations are being met. So now let's move on to the how. Except in significant disasters, communication service providers file their network outage reports online using the FCC's network outage reporting system. The initial notices require the basic information, such as the provider's name, the date and time of when the outage started, a brief description of the outage and its service impacts, the geographic area impacted by the outage, and a service provider contact person in case the FCC has questions. Service providers often must submit supplemental reports providing updates on the outage and their recovery efforts, which come with their own deadlines. But now let's talk about why this is important. The FCC takes its network outage reporting requirements very seriously, especially when outages affect 911 service. The FCC has a history of enforcement for failure to comply with the reporting obligations, especially when providers fail to notify PSAPs of outages. We will note that because so many providers must report outages, the FCC often learns of an outage even if the primary carrier doesn't report it. For example, if a reseller reports an outage and explains that it comes from a wholesale provider's cable cut, the FCC will look to see if the wholesale provider also reported the outage. That being said, the FCC normally doesn't take enforcement action against communication service providers for outages caused by major weather events or disasters. Yeah. And this is in contrast to really to the sunny day outages that we talked about, um, which are ones that are not caused by weather-related issues. Here, the FCC's history is very inconsistent. Some sunny day outages have resulted in significant fines. Two examples that I can think of off the top of my head here are uh, T-Mobile. There was an outage for T-Mobile in August of 2014. And then earlier in 2014, there was a significant outage 
affecting several carriers' networks in the Northwest U.S., Washington State, California, Oregon, etc. Now, contrast that with some other examples. In February of 2011, there were a number of snow-related outages here in Washington, D.C., and those were outages didn't result in any punitive action. The FCC studied it. They looked at it. The state commissions looked at it as well. But the FCC, at least, never took any punitive action. Now, for a more current example, when you'd only look at AT&T's 911 outage affecting its mobile wireless customers in March of 2017. This outage resulted from a network change made by AT&T that caused a mismatch between the IP addresses. It's, you know, the details are kind of beyond what we need to talk about here. What's interesting to me is that the FCC released a report in May about this outage, and it found that it was avoidable, that it could have been prevented by AT&T, particularly if it had implemented standard network reliability protocols. But what what the FCC didn't do is fine AT&T for it. Now, there may be an investigation going on. We're not quite sure of that, and the timeline on that hasn't expired yet. Um, They have a year in which to bring it. So it's possible that there is an enforcement investigation out there that's going on. But at least in the public aspects right now, what the FCC has done is they've issued a report. They've sort of informally admonished AT&T, if you will. And then they've issued a number of public notices to others, reminding them of these best practices and suggesting that you follow them. That's the more normal course, at least for the sunny day outages. Yeah, that's right. So turning a little bit, let's talk about something that actually where we suspend the network outage reporting rules entirely. So recognizing that service providers' first goal should be mitigating outage impacts and restoring service, the FCC often will suspend network outage reporting obligations during major weather events by activating what's called the Disaster Information Reporting System, or DERS. DERS is a voluntary web-based system that communication service providers can use to report their communications infrastructure status and other information during disasters. The FCC determines whether to activate DERS in consultation with FEMA and announces either through public notice or email the areas that are covered by DERS and the information sought from communication service providers. Now, the FCC activated DERS for parts of Louisiana and Texas during Hurricane Harvey and for Puerto Rico, the U.S. Virgin Islands, Florida, and other states during Hurricane Irma. In fact, they just recently deactivated DERS related to Hurricane Irma. Right. Okay. And I, one thing I want to add here, I want to take a little bit of a side journey and talk a little bit about environmental regulations. It's easy for us to think and focus only on the FCC's obligations, but there are other agencies that have other jurisdiction here, particularly when you're talking about the storage of hazardous materials that are used to run the communications networks. Service providers often store many of these types of materials, and those are subject to requirements such as the Emergency Planning and Community Right to Know Act, EPCRA, the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, and the Resource Conservation Act. And we cover all of these and we follow all these. There's a lot of obligations that you have in terms of notifying ahead of these, uh, of these types of events. But importantly, when, what I want to emphasize here is when the storms occur, there can be accidental discharges of these types of materials. And if that storm does cause damage, you may need to report that to local emergency responders and to others who have issued you permits for those, that storage. If waste was stored, for example, you might have to notify uh, not only your permitting authorities, but the EPA's National Resource Center. So this is another area where we really should look very closely at what the obligations are. Right. So returning a little bit to the communication, let's talk about the FCC's response to the hurricanes. So as with DERS, the FCC often suspends or waives certain rules during major weather events to alleviate burdens on providers and their subscribers. 
So following a precedent it established after Hurricane Katrina back in 2005, the FCC relieved telecommunications carriers of certain numbering obligations in order to assist customers with the orderly restoration of service. The recovery from such storms often takes many months, sometimes years, so the FCC in effect allows carriers to bypass the normal numbering rules while customers are displaced, relocated, or rebuilding. After Hurricanes Harvey and Irma, the FCC waived certain rules regarding telephone number portability to allow carriers to temporarily transfer subscriber numbers to centers located outside of the affected areas. The FCC further allowed carriers to temporarily disconnect a number at a customer's request to avoid billing disputes and then reinstated service at the same number when communications are restored. Yeah. And a related thing that happened during Hurricane Katrina, the FCC waived its number assignment rules. Normally, telephone numbers are assigned on a first-come, first-served basis. You can't broker. You can't sell those numbers, et cetera. But during Katrina, the FCC allowed the voluntary transfer of the number 1-800-RED-CROSS from the individual subscriber that was operating that to the national chapter of the American Red Cross. So that bypassed all of those rules. We haven't seen that yet with, with Harvey or Irma, but it's certainly possible in this type of situation. Sure. So also earlier this month, the FCC temporarily waived certain rules for carriers in Florida, Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands that participate in the Lifeline program, which offers subsidized phone service to indigent and other qualified subscribers. Now, normally, Lifeline providers must de-enroll subscribers who do not use the service for 30 consecutive days. Lifeline subscribers also must recertify their eligibility every 12 months. But the FCC recognized that waiver of these rules would help low-income subscribers retain access to emergency communications during and following the storms, while allowing Lifeline providers to focus on their recovery efforts. The FCC also recognized that subscribers may be unable to recertify their eligibility due to widespread communications outages. Another important waiver that the FCC extended, and they did this on their own motion, um, is late last week they extended the window for service providers to pay their 2017 regulatory fees. These are fees that are, need to be paid by a date certain in September. They're subject to a 25% late payment penalty. The FCC waived that deadline by three days from September 26th to September 29th for entities that are located in Florida, Puerto Rico, and the affected areas. Uh, if you have any question about whether you're affected, I strongly suggest you contact your your legal counsel about that because there's some uh, vagaries left over there. But this is nice and interesting to see the FCC reaching out and saying, yes, we're going to extend this deadline. We're going to give you more information. And when I spoke with them about this, they indicated that if more time was necessary, they would work with carriers on that, and we wanted you to contact them to work that out. Yeah, and we should point out that the FCC also extended comment deadlines and certain rulemaking proceedings citing the impact of the storms. I mean, they're continuing to do that as, as recently as yesterday. So, so what you see from all of this stuff, I want to just sort of try and start wrapping up on this thing here. Now, um, what these examples show is that in the aftermath of storms like this, business as usual does not apply. The FCC rules are designed for the ordinary situations, and they serve public policy purposes that are broad in scope, such as the desire for efficient use of telephone numbers or a first-come, first-serve allocation methodologies. Those public policy purposes are not necessarily applicable at the time that these storms hit. And sometimes those purposes can affirmatively undermine storm recovery. And that's the point where communication service providers should carefully examine the impacts of these storms on their business and on those rules. If the rules impose an impediment, carriers should consult with counsel and should request relief from the rules if necessary. The FCC has shown a willingness to work with carriers in these situations, 
And I believe that willingness will continue. That's right. Okay. So that really wraps it up here. I want to thank you all for listening to the podcast. We hope that you will subscribe to us and uh, keep in touch with us both here and on our Common Law Monitor blog. Thank you. The views and ideas expressed on this program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or ideas held by Kelly Dry and Warren LLP, its staff, or management.